you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Tapeheads is a production of iHeartMedia and the NFL. Only a week away from the 2022 NFL Draft. Thank goodness we are officially in the home stretch. This is Tapeheads Draft Season. Bob Shusen, longtime radio voice of the New York Jets, also play-by-play guy for ESPN College Football for probably too many years, which means that Greg Cosell for way too many years has been breaking down the all 22 for NFL films, not only during the season, NFL matchups, but also in this draft season, going through all of the prospects. And we've been trying to take you on a deep dive on this podcast behind the draft into the war rooms to show you how teams evaluate prospects and put their boards together and hopefully the most realistic of ways. And during that quest, we have brought on some of the people that we think are the best to talk to that can also help educate you. And we've got another one that is kind enough to join us today. Greg McElroy, you can hear him if you're in Birmingham with Cole Kublik in the morning. It's two ESPN college football guys doing a morning show together. So obviously you're a college football junkie and you are in Alabama. Make sure that you click their show on because it's as good as it gets for that. And of course, you can hear Greg every Saturday as well. Uh, most recently with Joe Tessitore calling college football for ESPN, and he joins us now. And even with all of that, winning a national championship at Alabama, playing the highest level of high school football in the state of Texas, his fondest football memories, of course, are with the New York Jets, right? Is that that safe (laughs) to say, Greg? Like when you look back on your football career and you really, when that cartoon bubble comes out of your head, your first thoughts go to hanging out with me and Marty Lyons at the back of the, uh, the jet charter flight, like lamenting what just went wrong. Yeah, I mean, uh, often referencing what the hell happened in some flights longer than others. Uh, so we had plenty of time to get into the weeds, uh, Marty being the Bama guy. So we'd, of course, start the conversation cordially by talking about what Bama did the day before. Because that uh, was the good news. Some way or somehow. That was usually <laughs> the good news. And, then, into... and our jet game usually yeah. then became some bad news. <laughs> yeah, it's a good news, bad news situation. <laughs> we always started with the good. Yeah, 2012 New York was was an interesting spot. We had the AFC West that year. Uh, excuse me, the NFC West that year. Might have, yeah, yeah, NFC West that year. So we were going on road trips to Seattle and you know and all these other places. So we had lots of time to uh, commiserate on some of the shortcomings that was the 2012 season. Yeah, and there was always something to commiserate about. But a guy that I know you're going to want to commiserate with is Greg Cosell because, you know, the best part about this podcast, Greg, is getting football nerds and junkies together. And Greg McElroy, as a player, I know this, did not get the football out of his system during his playing (laughs) career. Like, he is every bit the deep-dive nerd that you are about ball, so I'm glad we can get the two of you together. Well, if you played high school football in Texas and then went to Alabama to play football, I mean, I don't think there's two better places to have in your background as far as being a football guy and certainly a quarterback. So I guess, Greg, the way I'd love to start is, you know, you you obviously played in the league, but you also now do a ton of college football, played college football at the highest level. You know, a word that's thrown around a lot now, particularly leading up to the draft, is people say a, a quarterback has traits. 
And yeah. I and I always love to know because no one ever says what those traits are. They just say, oh, he's got great traits. So when you look at a quarterback and you do college games, and obviously you're watching quarterbacks that will go on to play in the league, and you did play in the league, how do you see that? When you when you think of a quarterback and you think in your mind, oh, he's got traits to play in the NFL, what in your mind, having been an NFL quarterback, is really important? Well, Greg, and I've, I've been around a lot of good ones, right? I've been around a lot of really good players, have been around a lot of really good quarterbacks, have seen the guys at the college level that have since blossomed into franchise quarterbacks. And, and oftentimes traits, they are seldom physical. I mean, yes, you'll occasionally come across a guy that transcends the college game because of just how talented they are. But oftentimes the guys that I've gravitated towards, the guys that I've said, all right, that dude's bound for success, it's their makeup mentally. And I, I think right now, and and obviously Bob can can attest to this, it's harder than ever to figure out, all right, who are the guys that love the game, that love the grind, that love the prep, that love the execution on game day? Who are those guys versus the guys that love what comes with being the starting quarterback at fill-in-the-blank university? And I think sometimes it's very difficult in the era of NIL, uh, in the era of social media, to differentiate the guys that love the game for the game's sake and love what comes with being a star player on a successful team. So my biggest trait right now, who are the guys that have a football problem? And when I mean football problems, they are on the verge of being addicted to the sport. Doesn't mean that everything in their life has to take a back seat. That's not the case. Some of these guys are entering into the league. Desmond Ritter, for example, has a beautiful daughter named Layton. Uh, but I think there are obviously things that are away from the field that are of the highest priority. But when you're in the building, when you are preparing for the opponent week in and week out, how intense is your preparation? And some of the guys that are most successful are borderline crazy when it comes to their preparation. The Peyton Mannings, the Drew Breeses, I want guys like that. And if I can identify some of those qualities, uh, I usually, I feel like based on their skill set and everything else that you can throw into the mix, I usually can kind of tell whether or not a guy's going to be the real deal when I get to the league. Have you, you know? heard anything about some of the guys in this draft class? Some of the names we're talking about at the top of the draft. I mean, this is not one of those classic quarterback drafts where we're going to see three or four guys come off in the first, you know, five or six picks, right? We're, we may not get a guy taken in the top 10. Who knows? But do you hear, or maybe even with some of these guys, you've covered, I'm sure, some of their college games. Do you get a feel mm -hmm. that there are some real football junkies in this draft class at quarterback? The one that is, without question, the biggest junkie, and I've covered them all. Uh, I've called several of their games. Bob, I'm sure you've sat down, visited with an awful lot of them. Um, the one that stands out to me is Matt Corral. Uh, he is intense as far as his preparation, his competitiveness. Y'all, first game I ever saw him get extended minutes was back in 2019 or so. I call the Egg Bowl. It feels like almost every year. The Egg Bowl, for those that are unaware, is Mississippi State against Ole Miss. And he had to come off the bench in favor of the starting quarterback, Jordan Ta'amu, who got banged up. And this is garbage time. They're down by a lot. Mississippi State's rolling them pretty good. And he starts a fight. Not, not because, like, I mean, not because he's a punk, but because he was so hyper intense competitive down four touchdowns at the end of the game. A fight got 
started because Matt Corral was talking smack and like intense and it just got, it got chaotic, but he didn't, the game was well in hand, but he wasn't willing to give up and he's just wired differently. Very intense, very info, very focused, almost like disturbingly intense. I mean, you watch him on a Friday walkthrough and we called his last college game leading up to the sugar bowl. And the Friday walkthrough was as crisp and as focused. I mean, he's ripping guys for not being aligned. I mean, this is a bowl game when all the people around him are telling him, oh, it doesn't matter. The bowl games don't matter. Don't tell Matt Corral that. He just loves the game. He loves to compete. So of the guys that are being mentioned at the top, he's the one that I've identified as kind of the guy with a little bit of the it uh, and has a little stuff to him. So Pickett, of course, Willis, Ritter, and you know Sam Howell, they all have great qualities. I think all these guys have legitimate flaws too. But if we're looking at personality traits that I want in my starter, Matt Corral has some of those traits. Interesting, you know, because I love what you said. Ultimately, you're talking about the process, and I think that's what it's ultimately about because in the NFL, as you well know, you can't just line up on Sunday and play. Um, it's all leading up to that. Not that the game is easy on Sunday, but as you know, in the NFL, the great quarterbacks, think of the guys, for instance, like the Tom Brady's, who's great for a reason. Drew Brees was great for a reason. Those guys are two steps ahead of what's happening. Those guys win, as you know, Greg, before the ball's even snapped on 95% of their plays. Obviously, defenses get coached as well, and there'll be a few plays where, hey, the defense wins. But the great ones, they see it in the pre-snap phase. They know where they're going with the football. And college football, I don't think, is like that quite as much as the NFL. No, it's not at all. I mean, there are offenses, and I can think of several, where the head coach will literally, or the offensive coordinator, whoever's calling the plays, part of the signal from the sideline to the field is where you're going to throw the football. Right. So it'd be like, hey, let's go, uh, you know, circus, hey. And you give the X symbol, well, that means you're throwing to the X. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, or something. Something like that. So a lot of the processing in college football is predetermined or it's reacted to based on one specific defender. So it's RPO based. Right. You put the body, you put the ball into the belly of the running back. If that will linebacker commits to the run, well, boom, you throw the slant in right behind him. You're sprinting out to the right. If that corner comes up to attack you as the quarterback, boom, you throw the corner right in behind him. You're reading just one defender. And that's not, yes, there are some reads in the NFL in which you are keying on one defender, whether it's a high-low read. If he drops back, you're taking the underneath. If he comes up, you're throwing it right behind him in the hole. There are some reads like that. But there are also reads in the NFL that are pure progression in which your feet have to talk to you. So you're five-step on rhythm, you're throwing one. You hitch, you're throwing two. You hitch twice, you're throwing three. You hitch three times, you're getting it out to four, and you live to play the next down. So I think that pure progression, depending on the style of offense that you're trying to get into, you have to diagnose and process a lot more information, which is of concern. As guys make the transition, and we've seen NFL offenses simplified more so than they once were, and NFL coaches being more willing to adapt to what the player did well in college but if you can't get off your number one, if you can't process quickly, you're going to have troubles. And one of the guys that I've seen over the course of watching his tape 
And one of the guys that I saw in the senior bowl practices as well, Malik Willis, he, he struggles getting off of number one. He struggles getting from one to two to three. And then when he does figure out where he's going with the football, he's very dangerous. But his first instinct is to take off right. and to be an athlete with the ball in his hands. And, and that doesn't always work in the NFL. So that's one of the question marks I have for him as he makes this transition, because he's going to have to really improve in that area to become the best player he's possibly capable of becoming. Greg McElroy with us here on Tapehead's Draft Season with Bob Oshusen and Greg Cosell. Real quick before we take a break, you mentioned Malik Willis, you mentioned Matt Corral. Like a Kenny Pickett, say, who doesn't maybe have the athletic, crazy physical talent ceiling that a Willis has, but is a much more polished quarterback. Sam Howe, who obviously could throw the deep ball. I'm sure you had his games in college, but he's undersized. Where do you sort of put these guys in where you expect them to go? What kind of success you think they'll have in the NFL? Where they may, if you're a Kenny Pickett, not have to be tutored as much, schooled as much football-wise as a Malik Willis will. But if you can really tap into Malik Willis is a football player. He's just going to be able to do things that these other guys can't do. How about that discussion in a war room? Yeah, and I, I think that's a, it's all depends on what what you're looking for, right? If you're if you currently have a bridge quarterback that can get you two or three more years of good quality, high level football, then you would roll the dice on a Malik Willis. He has a higher ceiling. And I remember watching tape coming out on Patrick Mahomes. And now it looks like a slam dunk, right? Like, right, yeah. why did he fall to the 10th pick? You know, okay, great. And I remember being infatuated with Patrick Mahomes and saying he was my favorite quarterback in the draft. But I also acknowledged there was a 60% chance he could flame out of the league because he's going to throw more interceptions than touchdowns in a four-year period. Like, I, I talked to one of my buddies who was on the staff at Kansas City, on the defensive staff, so saw Mahomes every day in practice as a rookie, and he goes, this dude could be the greatest of all time or be one of the biggest busts we've ever seen. And he was on the staff because he was pulling things off in scout team that were just ridiculous, but they weren't sure. They weren't 100% sure that it was translatable. As far as what we're looking at with Malik Willis, he needs time and he needs reps and he needs to learn how to let his feet talk to him. And learn, I think, the nuances of playing the position. Right now, he's a great athlete. A great athlete. He's very accurate when his feet are set. However, his feet aren't set that often. He's very accurate when he's on the move. The problem is he gets on the move too quickly. You know, there's just things that he can do a little bit better. But if I can give him a year or two where I have a bridge situation, I have a guy that can at least keep us afloat maybe even get us to the playoffs. And then two years from now, Malik can ultimately take over if he proves that he's capable, then we're cooking with gas. I mean, the the best example to me is the situation going on in Green Bay. Like you have a first round pick that has now had the opportunity to sit behind one of the greatest to ever do it, hone in his skill set a little bit, and then inevitably at some point, he's going to get a chance to be the guy, whether it's in Green Bay or somewhere else. And I think for Malik Willis, for him to be the best possible player that he can be, he needs time and he needs to rep and he needs to worry about Malik Willis, not worry about the opposing team that he's going to be playing against. Because when you're a starter, you're not focused on your fundamentals. You're not focused on trying to tighten things up or improve. You're focused on, okay, when they're in third down five, 
that's the defense that they're going to run. Here's the blitzes that they might bring. How do I attack that defense on third and five? You're not thinking about yourself. Yourself should already be a finished product at that point. We're thinking about what they might do. So I think he just needs some time. And I think if given time, he has the highest ceiling of anyone else in this draft. Great talking football with Greg McElroy. We, t- we told you it's a football nerd's dream, right, Greg? I mean, he is right There's so in the much nerd there, world Bob. There's so much there. <laughs> it is so good. We're going to come back and continue to probe what's there. We'll take a look at the players that are going to get their names called, what it's like for those players to have to wait on draft day to get their names called as well. Greg McElroy with us. It's Tapehead's draft season. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Bob Schusen, Greg Cosell, and Greg McElroy back here on Tapehead's draft season, jumping right back into it a week away from the draft. And Greg, you obviously had to wait until the last day of the draft to hear your name called. You finally heard it called. What was it like? What's the wait like? If you're a guy that thinks he's going to go earlier in this draft and you kind of have to sit there and wait, what are those emotions like? Well, it's pretty agonizing. Um, I didn't have expectations of going in the first two days. I had expectations of going day three, but I had expectations of going early on day three. So to wait, and I believe I went pick 208, so I probably saw, you know, 150 picks before I was called. Or no, not quite that. That's terrible math. But whatever it was, it was a lot. A hundred and so odd picks, 115 picks or so before my name got called. It It was unfortunate. It was disappointing. The thing that's hardest, especially when you start getting into the later rounds, is seeing guys go off the board at your position that stink. You know, that's the worst part. And like you've seen them, like there was one guy in particular that I'd seen throw, uh, had seen him play and was very unimpressed with him. And he ended up getting drafted way before me. Why? Because he was big. He'd never played a snap in the league, but, but he was big and he looked the part more so than I did. So those are the most frustrating things. Um, I, of course, ended up going to an amazing situation for quarterbacks, the Jets. Uh, so I was thrilled to end up going where I went um, to have the chance to learn from Brew and, and to be with Mark, who was one of my buddies. We had the same quarterback coach growing up. But um, for those that are expecting to hear their name called in the first five or ten picks and they end up getting their name called, you know, pick 30, it, it's not always a terrible situation. There's so much about your success is about where you go. And unfortunately for some, they go to horrible situations and they wash out of the league rather quickly. Others go to great situations and they can have decent amount of success for some time before they're expected to carry the load. So uh, I always think it's, it's an awful feeling to fall, but you know sometimes God's greatest gifts are in unanswered prayers. While you might be giving up in guaranteed money as a draft pick, you might be rewarded with a better supporting cast. And I personally would rather have the better supporting cast so I can win <laughs> than have that crazy guaranteed money in the first contract. Yeah, interesting. You know, the what you were talking about in the previous section really struck me about, you know, you were talking about Malik Willis, but what what struck me about it was really the balance between learning how to play the position and 
then learning how to attack defenses and understanding defenses. And there's a balance there, especially when quarterbacks have to play early. Because when they come in early, they're not going to be that familiar with all the details and complexities of NFL defense. That takes time. Um, and, and obviously, as you know, Greg, defensive coordinators do a lot of things in the NFL, and you get to third and long, and they've got the tactical advantage, and you've got to try to win when they have the tactical advantage. And as you said, you're not thinking about your technique, your mechanics, your fundamentals. You're just thinking about trying to make a play because it's third yeah. and eight, and you just want to make a play. And then you look at the guys, you know, the Tom Brady's of the world who could never make a play by running around, but yet the mechanics, the fundamentals were perfect seemingly on every single throw. And sometimes I think that's getting lost in the translation with this new emphasis and new focus on the fact that guys can run around and make plays, and then they right. miss some easy ones because their fundamentals aren't good enough. Yeah, and I think that's that's the balance, right? You have to the the off schedule plays the uncoachable plays yeah. right like that's what a lot of people always describe and the coach if you can find an OC that will call a perfect game let me know because I I don't know one I've never seen one it's never happened sure you laugh but like I, I'm sure <laughs> Brian Schottenheimer thought he called a perfect game or two but there were a few times in which he probably you know didn't have a perfect game called I say that tongue in cheek but like. There are several examples in which the offensive quarter makes an awful play call. I mean, it's just, it, it happens. But what a quarterback like Malik Willis can do for you is that even in spite of the defense winning before the snap, they can still win because it becomes a matchup situation against maybe someone in the open field or extending a play, buying just a little bit more time. I think there's a little bit too much of an emphasis on that right now because coaches want the quarterback that can get you out of jail and make you right even when the coach was wrong. You just have more you have more margin for error as a coach if you have a guy that can create. But personally, if I'm a coach, I would love to have a quarterback that's an extension of me. No, every single time I call the play, here's why he's calling the play. Here's how we're going to execute it based on the defense that we get. In the unexpected situation in which we get pressure, here's our answer. If we get a specific look, here's our check to it. Here's our audible, whatever it may be. So right. I, I think that there's a there's a balance there, but it does feel like organizations are trending in the direction of finding the guy that can maybe create on their own and maybe make the sandlot play where they run around and do something spectacular as opposed to win methodically by, you know, going with a hot route or a site adjustment or whatever it may be. So I think it's all about what the organization's philosophies are. And if you want to rely more on athleticism, totally get that. But I certainly, last I checked, Tom Brady's still playing in an MVP caliber. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. Like those guys that can still win from the pocket and that are an extension of their play caller, uh, those are still the guys that I think have the most consistent success. Yeah, they're not bad. Those guys are all right. It's been a while. <laughs> Greg McElroy with us here on Tapeheads Draft Season. All right, let's get to this draft a bit while we have you for a few more minutes. Uh, we talked about the quarterbacks and Willis and Pickett, Matt Corral and whatnot, but, I mean, you're right in the middle of SEC country. You call SEC games on a regular basis for ESPN. You also call other conferences. You're hosting a morning show with Cole Kubelik, like in the backyard hotbed of college football in America. So what are your strongest inclinations Maybe some of the guys that you think people, you know, should be 
jumping at from the world of the SEC, how you think the top 10 is going to shake out. What do you think about this draft? Here's what I find comical. And and I look at the NFL drafts and all because I'm, you know, a product of ESPN. I'll use Kuiper and McShay's big board for the time being. So I'll just go off of that. And I see Aiden Hutchinson at number one as the number one overall player on the big board, right? And I'm sure you saw him in person. Very impressed by what Aiden Hutchinson did throughout the course of his college career, most notably in his most recent season. Uh, I thought he was great. But there was never at any point any indication from his play on the field last year that would warrant him going number one overall. Like, just just being completely honest. I watched, say, for instance, Will Anderson at Alabama, who does not have draft eligibility, and I saw Will Anderson literally beat Mississippi State by himself. The guy had, like, four sacks, six tackles for loss. I mean, was an absolute dominant force there was never a point in which i looked at aiden hudson and said oh dude that guy we better not do anything in his direction because he will eat our lunch i never felt that way so the fact that he's garnering consideration to go number one overall is mind-blowing to me like i i don't think anyone in this draft stands out as a bona fide number one overall type of guy like trayvon walker he wasn't even the best player along his own defensive front. He might have the highest ceiling, but he wasn't the best player. Uh, wide receiver, Garrett Wilson. Unbelievably explosive, but at times he took a back seat to Chris Olave. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, he's a safety. I think he's great, but he's a safety. Like, How can I justify taking a non-premier position with the first overall pick? I can't. Left tackle. To me, I think Ike Okwanu is probably the most impressive guy I've seen on tape all year at left tackle, and there's arguments as to whether or not he's even going to project into being a day-one starter and, and things like that. I mean, I, I just don't know where you go because to me, the guy that's been talking about as the number one overall pick, I can't tell you a single difference between the number one guy, according to Kuiper and McShay and Aiden Hutchinson, and the guy that's number 24, who's George Karloftis from Purdue. To me, they're somewhat interchangeable. So if I'm attacking this draft, I am thrilled that I'm the New York Jets. With four picks in the top 50, with two picks in the top 10, I don't want the number one overall pick because I don't think there's a guy worthy of the number one overall pick. But I like the depth, and I think that there's a lot of really good players that will be plug-and-play starters and the top 40 prospects, but how you would kind of sort them out one through 40, I have a very difficult time doing. So some of the guys I love the most, Tyler Linderbaum, the center from Iowa, I think he's incredible. I've so enjoyed watching him play for the last several years. Derek Stingley at LSU was an absolute lockdown corner. I think he's obviously had some issues the last couple of years as far as injuries are concerned, but I think those were partly because of how, just how good he was as a true freshman there in 2019. Uh, I love Garrett Wilson. I think wide receiver, shockingly enough, has become a premier position. So if I can get guys that can run and jump and create matchups, you can play them inside and out. I love the idea of his versatility. So, I mean, those are kind of three of the guys that I feel like are a little bit further on the draft board than they probably should be. And you can make a strong argument that any of those three were just as good as Aiden Hutchinson at their best this season. 
I kind of agree with you, by the way, Greg. I think it, it's a tough year to have the top two or three picks in the draft, but yet there, I think there's a lot of depth at certain positions. Let me ask you about one guy who I'm sure you're familiar with, because I personally think that he's the best wide receiver prospect in this draft, and that's and I don't know him personally, so you may know more about him. I think George Pickens is the best receiver prospect in this draft when you just look at the talent level. Uh, he's terrific, and you're probably getting a bit of a steal on him uh, just because of the injury last year and the lack of availability. So I, I think he's phenomenal um, and has a real high ceiling and could become a, a real guy. I, I, for one, would not be in a real hurry to start spending a ton of draft capital at wide receiver. This is as deep a wide receiver draft as I can recall. Because you referenced George Pickens. Well, I have just an infatuation with Traylon Burks so do from I. Arkansas <laughs> who took over several games, including a game against Alabama throughout the course of last year. I mean, we're talking – Drake London is a monster. Christian Watson from North Dakota State is a monster. I mean, you can go eight, nine, ten deep at wide receiver, and every single one of those dudes could be a day-one starter. And we're talking about really, this is as good a wide receiver draft as I can remember with immediate impact players that offer versatility. Like Drake London to me is Mike Evans reincarnated. They are so similar to me coming out. And I think Traylon Burks, while I'm disappointed with his overall speed, I thought he'd run better. He's kind of one of those guys I just want to burn the tape on. Like just give him the ball in space. And or get him the ball in a contested catch situation, he's going to win that matchup. The guy has enormous hands and has done a really good job with relatively inaccurate quarterbacks the last couple of years from Arkansas. So I just think this receiver draft, y'all, is is 10 plus. And I am really anxious to see just how quickly the run starts with wide receivers. Because if it starts really early, say the Jets take one at four or whatever it is. How quickly does the second one come off and then the third one come off and then so on and so forth? So I think it's a really deep group and one that I wouldn't be in a real rush to to make a run on because I think you could find a guy in the second round that's probably not that much worse than a guy that got drafted in the top five or six. We could talk ball with you up until draft night. That's how good this has been. I know, all day, all day. <laughs> Can I tell you guys the, the one guy that no one's talking about that I just want? Yeah, every, go for it. I don't want to have like an I told you so moment 10 years from now when this guy's <laughs> like a perennial all pro, Jalen Petrie from Baylor. Just just remember that name. He doesn't look the part, but he's got some honey badger qualities. Like he reminds me so much of Tyron Matthew. And of the players that are going to come off the board day two, he's my favorite. Him and Logan Hall from Houston are the two guys that I am, like, obsessed with. I, I, uh, I'm so, obsessed with Logan Hall as well. I oh haven't gotten gosh. to Petrie yet, but Logan Hall. <laughs> You're going to love Petrie. See, I love You're Logan gonna, well, Hall more than, let's say, Devontae Wyatt, who's getting, you know, everybody's talking about. I think Hall is a way better prospect. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page because I know I'm in I'm in I'm in very very good situation if you if you're seeing what I'm seeing. Oh no, I'm not no. seeing I'm not seeing ghosts here because those are no, the two Logan guys. No, Logan Hall man. to me is a really good prospect. He's he play inside and out. He's huge. He's got great length. Like yep. I I think that dude's a get ready. He's going to be a handful. Someone's going to get him in the second round. And be like, oh my gosh, what did we just stumble into? I agree with you. <laughs> I think so, the same I can be said. Cosell, are, you, are you in heaven talking football with this guy or what? 
<laughs> Did we, we tell you? Talk more, Greg, at some point here. <laughs> we'll do it. Thanks. For, and Whenever by the way, for, for two knuckleheads from Jersey, thanks for slipping a y'all in there for us as well. <laughs> kind of, like, that, that's like the, the like the, an official stamp that this is know, a, uh, a real football that, yeah. broadcast. We appreciate that. <laughs> I should have said you skies or something like that. I don't <laughs> know, like you skies or something yeah, like that. Right, I wasn't right, sure. Right. Y'all works. You should have dropped the forget about it on there, you know. Because forget you, about it. Yeah, you, see, you got a little bit of that still in you from your days up here. Yeah, just enough. Greg, you're the just best. Enough. Thanks a million. See you guys. Thanks, Greg. All right, that's Greg McElroy, who not only if you're in Birmingham, you can hear him mornings with Cole Kubelik uh, doing radio down there, but also you will see him every Saturday doing college football games as well for ESPN. And he will be bouncing in and out of SportsCenter and Get Up and all the ESPN shows uh, talking about college football and the draft. So straight ahead, some thoughts on some of the gems that tra- Greg dropped, and we will wrap up this edition of Tapehead's Draft Season. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. We are back on Tapehead's draft season, one week away from the draft. Bob Shoes and Greg Cosell. How much fun was that, talking football oh with Greg God, McElroy? Oh, my God, that was awesome. I feel like I could talk to Greg McElroy for about a week and, and not stop and miss all the meals, and it wouldn't even bother me. I know. Barely scratched the surface, right? I mean, how many more guys could we have talked about? How many oh more teams and philosophies and concepts? And, you know, uh, maybe if we're doing this again next year, uh, we need to get him on even early in the in the process just to talk conceptual quarterback play even uh, see, I loved all that deeper. about the quarterback yeah I mean that's one of my takeaways obviously we can talk about a few other guys as well that he mentioned but one of my, the takeaways I thought was that balance between being an extension of the play caller and running the structure of the offense as often as you possibly can obviously he said there'll be some plays that you can't but basically staying within the structure and executing the offense versus this new emphasis on let's run around and make some plays let's play off schedule a lot of coaches have now gravitated to more than ever and I love the Mahomes uh discussion because I spoke to a lot of coaches Bob that year at the combine who basically said hey we know this guy's super talented but I work 16, 18 hours a day putting in my offense and I want him to execute it. I don't want him to just run around. Now, this conversation seems silly today, given what Patrick Mahomes has accomplished in the league. But believe me, back then, there was a reason he was the 10th pick in the draft and not a unanimous number one pick. But, you know, that's the concern is that you play outside of structure. There's too much randomness to that. A great example, though, of something that you know is going to go on inside war rooms, Patrick Mahomes was probably an internally debated prospect as polarizing as it gets. Some seeing yes. the natural gifts. And and Malik Willis will probably have that same kind of a polarizing debate. You'll see the gifts. You'll see the talent. You'll see the ceiling. Some coaches or GMs, we can get that out of him. Some coaches and GMs might be like, look, way too much of a learning curve to succeed in the NFL. You might not know until you get him under your roof. And and even listening to Greg break down some of the prospects, he sees what you don't see necessarily in a Drake London, right? Like we talked about Drake London back 
in one of our first episodes of this podcast, we talked about the great wide receiver prospects there were in this draft. And you didn't think that he was, you know, a Mike Evans clone or not, but that that will also be a great example of an internal debate teams will have. I can tell you for a fact, Bob, from talking to some GMs that that conversation is going on right now. I did not see Drake London that way, which, by the way, doesn't mean I don't think he'll be a good NFL player, you know, because people always jump to extremes, as you well know, you know, being in the business we're in. I did not see him as a Mike Evans, who many have compared him to, as Greg McElroy, who's obviously incredibly intelligent. And I've always felt that reasonable people can disagree about this, and that's fine. Maybe I can then learn something as well. But when I watched Drake London and I watched his tape from 2020 and 2021, I did not see a Mike Evans or even a Mike Williams type receiver. I saw more of a big slot type receiver who I think could be really dynamite inside, but I did not see him as a boundary X receiver, meaning the single receiver to the short side of the field. Now, obviously he can play above the rim. He's got great hands, great body control, makes contested catches, but I just did not see him having that kind of explosiveness as a mover. Maybe I'll be wrong. Believe me, I hope I am because I love when players come in the league and they're great. That's what we always want. You want these young players to come in and be great. And now he got me so excited. One guy I've not seen yet, and I have the list of like five guys who are must-sees before the draft that I just haven't gotten to yet, is Jalen Petrie, the safety from Baylor. Now that he mentioned that, I cannot wait. In fact, that might be my afternoon's activity is looking at Jalen Petrie. (laughs) Well, I I have a feeling his name might get brought up next week as we head towards the drafts. Uh, I think the other kind of 30,000-foot view of this draft, we've talked a lot about it, certainly reinforces what we have said during this podcast about this draft as a whole. Not a great year to have maybe the number one or number two or number three pick because there is a salary level and a financial commitment that goes along with the higher the pick, the more you have to pay. It's just the way it works. That's the salary scale. But if you feel like you can get basically the same player impact-wise at 10, 11, 12, that you can get at 1, 2, or 3, that's a huge advantage to a team having a 10th, 11th, or 12th pick because you're not paying the 11th pick nearly what you're paying the first or second pick. Do you agree? I mean, is the top 15 kind of that top tier in this draft that deep, that even, that balanced, that you're still going to get a similar talent? Yeah. Say if you're picking eighth and beyond, that if you're picking in, say, the top three or four? I do. In fact, I felt this way, but it was also echoed by conversations I've had that in an ideal world, someone like Aiden Hutchinson would probably be a top 10 or top 15 pick. But here's the question, because this is the draft, Bob, you you know, these are the players that are available right. in this draft. So you have to draft. So if we all know that Aiden Hutchinson isn't necessarily a guy you'd look at and automatically say, wow, that guy's a number one pick in any draft. So let's say you draft him and he turns out to be a 10-year real quality player, but not a Hall of Famer in this draft. Wouldn't you say then that you did really well? Sure. Once things happen and guys play, everybody is a genius when you have access to the results, Bob, as we know. When you have access to the results, then it's easy. But you don't have access to the results now. You've got to draft based on your process of evaluation. So if you draft Aiden Hutchinson and he becomes a really good 10-year player, not T.J. Watt, but a really good 10-year player, then you've done well in this given draft. 
Yep. I mean, it's just like what Bill Parcells always says about players or quarterbacks, right? We can only use what the colleges send us. Correct. Well, if you're a general manager, you can only draft who's in this draft. Someone has to pick one and some player has to go one. And that's just the way it goes. There are years where there is the transcendent, you know, Peyton Manning type talented quarterback. There are years where there's a blend of players and debate as to who should go first, second, and so on and so forth. We happen to be in one of those blend years, but for for our purposes, makes it even more interesting to talk about. Greg mentioned Matt Corral, who who he knows, I'm sure, and loves his competitiveness, and he stood out to him. There are certain things about Matt Corral that are separate from his competitiveness when you watch tape that I guarantee will concern some offensive coaches. And I'll tell you one thing, which I noticed immediately, and I had it a coach that I know well, a quarterback coach, we talked about this. When I watched Matt Corral, I thought to myself, God, this guy's 5'11 or 6 feet. And then he came in at 6'1 and 5'8. And the reason, Bob, I thought he was 5'11, 6 feet when I watched his tape was because he throws from a very low angle. He's got a snap delivery, a very compact, quick delivery, which is very good. And obviously the ball comes out extremely well but it comes out low. And I thought watching him, wow, this guy's really small. And so I wonder if in the NFL, if he's going to make those between the hash, between the numbers throws that are more quick rhythm type throws. I'm not talking about deeper drops. I'm talking about the quick rhythm throws that have become so much more a part of the NFL game because he throws as if he's 5'11 or 6 feet, not as if he's 6'1 and 5'8". Well, when we come back next week, we're going to have those kinds of conversations because the hay will be in the barn, right? Teams will have their boards set. So we're going to talk to you really about, I think, what your final analysis is of certain position groups, maybe the top guys in this draft. We'll just be a few days away from teams calling the names when we come back next Tuesday and drop our next episode. We'll have a busy week. We'll also be joining you after the first round, wrapping up Tapehead's draft season. Finally, the draft is upon us, and we'll get after it. We come back next Tuesday, so please rate, subscribe, download, tell your friends about it. If you've got a football nerd in your life that wants to get ready for the draft, hopefully we've done a good job of preparing you for exactly that, and we will come back next Tuesday with another edition of Tapehead's Draft Season. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.